Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the show, visit us at patreon.com. And for as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron. Or you can buy cool Lorehammer products like shirts, coffee mugs, and dice bags at www.redbubble.com. Don't want to spend any money? Well, you can help out the show by giving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also hop on over to Facebook and like our page, and feel free to send us a message. It's the only enjoyment Mark gets out of his miserable life. Hello and welcome back to Lorehammer. My name is Eric. The boys are back in town. No, you can't sing. <laughs> that boy, was Mark. The boys are in town. That really creepy guy. And then joining us. The boys us, are back in town. The boys. Dun, 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 guys, we're going to get sued dun. over this. Boys we don't have the rights to that song. <laughs> Can you honestly tell me what song I was singing from those sounds I was making? I assume you're I singing the same song that Mark is singing. But you don't know what song I'm singing. No, because you can't sing. The boys. <laughs> <laughs> all right so this is a bonus episode for you guys today um we are going to read two stories we're feeling greedy today and we want to do a us focused episode yes but there will be one another one coming later there we will at some point after this be releasing another episode yeah yeah i'm sure i'm sure uh, eventually we will release another episode it's yeah i hope so Sure. You know what? We don't <laughs> want to promise anything. It, we may or may not release another episode. This is, the, f- this is the finale. Oh. oh. I mean, you're not very subtle about this, James. <laughs> this is the finale. We're trying to rack up as much patrons as we can. Yeah, exactly. Episode. And then cash out. Come <laughs> cash on. Out. Series finale. <laughs> this is a high note to end on. Um, so we're going to read two stories today. One is going to be a, another short story that I wrote for my dynasty, the Nekhabet at Necron. Nice. Dynasty. Share some of your flavor. Can you remind us quickly what your last Necron story was? Yeah. So it was. Just in two words or less. Depressed Overlord finds his fire. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. It was about an Overlord who was just thinking back on uh, the things that have happened to him after he woke up from the great sleep Mm -hmm. um, in a very depressed mood and then at some point realizes, like, this is his destiny and it's his right to rule over these lesser races so it was just him coming to that realization in his mind yeah so and then someone um submitted a story to us about mark's obliterator yeah yeah um luke i'm not gonna say his last name because i don't remember it not because i care about his <laughs> not because privacy. Of privacy no i just don't know it <laughs> but uh yeah he wrote uh uh listen listen to lord for my obliterators and it was really good like i only had one minor tweak and other than that, he fucking nailed it. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, so I'm going to read mine, and you guys can share your thoughts on it. Um, you don't have to be as gentle, because this is my second time. Mm-hmm. So I've already been... You've already been enlarged. No, your your criticisms have already penetrated yeah. through me once. Already. It's all stretched out. Yeah, open. so stretched it's, it's fine. Sure. You can... Do with Ram me as you there. will. <laughs> I'm rewatching uh, Arrested Development. So every once in a while, Tobias. Yeah. It just, Michael's like, 
boy, you should just record yourself and listen to it. So he does it and it says like, I'm going to let you spread your cream all over me. And then he's like, that's out of context. (laughs) And then he says another one. It's like, I can't wait to go searching through your boy's hole or something like that. And then he's like, nothing wrong with that one. Classic. Oh man. Sometimes that show is great. And other times it makes me want to bomb my eyes out, but Hey, Anyways, so that's that's the combination. That's the winning combination. <laughs> they found they that's found the money the Nirvana. Made. That's Office season one is only Clyde <laughs> Rise Out, and then the rest is amazing. So uh, yeah, so I'll read mine, and then uh, James will read the one that Luke submitted to us for your Obliterator Army. I apologize in advance to all of you, and especially Luke for what I'm about to do to your story, which is attempt <laughs> to read gonna it. Are you going to take some creative liberties so, yeah. on it? I'm going to attempt to read it. You know the what? Way he looked about obliterators. It's about tyranids. He looked over there and saw the biggest of Tau titty GFs Ooh. that he's ever seen. Eldar. El- sorry, Eldar. I don't want Tau titties. I don't even know what those, those look like. Blue. I sent you the... Do you not remember that model I sent you? <laughs> the, the no! And he sent it back. He was just like, ew, ew, ew. <laughs> I feel like... Or was he going... Ooh, it Ooh. Ooh. saying it wrong. Hentai heaven. There, there's a little sub chapter for that. <laughs> well, that makes me. What does Nathan say? Hentai is art. Yeah. <laughs> Anime is art. Anime is art. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but hentai too. <laughs> Get that last word in. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, here is my story, titled Ascension. His footsteps echoed through the empty halls, the flickering lights on the walls lost in the shadows of the ceiling. Not for the first time, it reminded him of a maze, a trap for his immortal mind. His steps slowed as he neared the end of his journey, and the door rose silently before him. The only sound to be heard was the soft breath of air exchanging between the two rooms and the heavy rustle of his metal cloak. He stepped in and let his eyes adjust to the light. As he walked through the hall, he passed rows of lifeless Necron bodies. He slowed his pace and paused before one, finding its identification within his memory banks, filling his mind with unasked-for memory. This had been Tekhat, a simple engineer of the ancient Necronter. No doubt she had contributed to the grand mausoleums of that long-dead race or some equally useless task. And now she was another soulless being, forced to serve for eternity. He brought himself out of his reverie, and his gaze passed over the hundreds of Necron just like this one. They were shut down, their systems forcibly deactivated, and all were linked to a central node in the center of the hall. He walked to the control desk to a waiting cryptic. His voice was a modulator. His voice modulator was an old, breathy noise. We are ready, my lord Faron. He nodded his acknowledgement and simply said, Begin. Lights began to appear in front of the cryptic, and commands were swiftly executed. Many cycles before. Takat awoke from her dream. She ignored her optical inputs and savored the warm feeling of a dying sun on her skin for just a moment longer. But no, that wasn't right. Takat didn't have skin. She couldn't feel. She wasn't even capable of memory. She was created of metal, nothing more than a consciousness plugged into a machine. Her vision wavered and fuzzed for a moment while her brain attempted to reconcile the memory to her current state. It was over in a heartbeat, but then Takat rose from her induced slumber and her protocols weakly took over. Obey, kill, and sleep. 
Three commands that had always been who she was, her very identity boiled down to those simple words. But recently, something had changed. She was changing. It started simply, with strange viewings happening while she was sleeping. Usually, it was a total blackness, an emptiness that her consciousness could sink into. But then, a burst of color, a smell, a feeling. Something impossible. She would awake knowing that something had happened during her restoration cycle. And soon this grew. Soon she started to remember specifics of her dreams. Even that concept, that she was dreaming, was unknown to her. Simply another item pushed into her thoughts from some unknown location. At first, she lacked the means to communicate what was happening to her fellow Necron. And one day, she found she could form words and ideas in her head. It progressed shortly after that. She discovered she could verbally articulate her thoughts. Even her physical body was changing, creating a voice box where there previously was no need for one. I am alone was one of the first phrases she said out loud, recognizing that she truly was alone. No other Necron looked at life the way she did. No other Necron that she was in contact with cared about anything beyond their protocols. Obey, kill, sleep. Her fellow warriors did just that, ignoring all her attempts of communication while they were awake. And so her consciousness grew alone. Many cycles passed and Takat continued to fight, to kill for her Pharaon. But now she had a reason. Takat was desperate to continue growing, to keep changing and learning. There was a fear lurking in her brain that if she phased out of this body, she would lose all progress she had made. And there was another fear as well. A question her brain seemed to want to ignore as much as she did. And that was the origins of her memories. How could I have memories of being alive if I am a machine? This was the question that threatened to upend her world. One cycle, an order which she had seen before but never thought anything of, floated through her head. Any errors pertaining to individual consciousness are to be reported immediately for examination and further integration. This sparked an excitement in Takat. They knew about her. And if this was an order played over and over, there must be others. She knew that there was something missing in her growth, and maybe her masters had the answers she sought. She did as directed, and instead of powering down for her sleep cycle, she reported herself to a guard at the palace. She was instantly recognized as having an anomaly and ordered inside to the lower levels. Her curiosity and imagination flourished at this development. This was truly living. She felt empowerful, intelligent, capable of doing any number of tasks set before her. She was ready to use her newfound self for the glory of the Nekhebet dynasty. She stepped into a dimly lit room somewhere deep in the bowels of the palace to be met with a cryptic at a control module. Never once, or her breath caught, never once had she encountered a cryptic from the pharaoh's court. His name was Userhet, and he was known for his ability to work with and improve the pharaoh's canoptic creatures, a master of programming. Come closer, child, he beckoned without looking up, his voice whispering through her head. Tell me what is happening to you. It all poured out. How she had first experienced thought, when she first had memories of something inexplicably like life, she told him of her dreams and the fears that rattled through her head. At some point, Userhet stopped what he was doing at the control and gave her his full attention. She was thrilled. This was her first real conversation. She told him how she was ready to serve her Pharaon in a new capacity using her gifts, for surely she was special beyond all other Necron. She spoke with determination of her desire to grow further and not regress to what she had been, 
an automaton executing commands given at the whims of another. Now, she was ready to choose to follow. Userhet listened intently, watching her through steepled fingers. He nodded at some places, encouraged her at others. When she was clearly done, he lowered his hands and regarded her deeply, saying, Your iteration is one I have seen many times before. There is a flaw that exists intrinsically within our bodies that allows certain programs to mutate. Fortunately for you, we have a prepared place for you already. Your desire to serve your pharaon will be used to its utmost. I will be providing you with the tools you need to do so, in an environment most suited to your capabilities. Now, Takat, are you ready to shed this life and begin anew? She rose and followed him through the door. Takat was bursting with pride, with fulfillment. Surely this was the pinnacle of life. Surely now she, begin, she could begin to experience what it meant to exist, to live. The room that Userhet led her to was simple. An examination table was in the center, and small scarabs skittered across the floor and walls. Lie down, child, and I will delve into your mind, he beckoned to the table. Takat lay down on the cold metal surface, her excitement growing. She stretched her neck and watched as Userhet pulled a small cylindrical casket from the wall and twisted it to release millions of nanoscarabs into his palm. He walked to her and placed his hand just above her head, the infinitesimally... infinitesimally... Well, irregardless of yeah. what that word is. <laughs> the very, very, very small creatures <laughs> swarming to create a bridge between them. Images began to appear in her head. Flickers of places, bursts of emotion, flashes of faces. Slowly, awareness crept into Takat. Like an empty sponge, she soaked in these experiences. And not just any experiences, but hers. Memory and recognition began to overwhelm her and her body began to shake. Restraints smoothly rose from the table, incapacitating her. Faster and faster, the images appeared before her. Now a dusty street with a red glare. Now a dark hall filled with the dead. Now a simple home with a single wilted blossom on a simple table. Now war. Memories of proclamations, treaties, ceasefires, and the dead filled her mind. So many dead. Brothers, sisters, friends, father and mother. She had buried them all. Her heart broke. She remembered placing their bodies inside the mausoleum she had created, and weeping as the door was sealed shut behind her, their only companions, the automatons created to care for the halls of the dead. Takat broke. Something inside shattered, and she screamed. This was too much. She barely registered Userhet directing the nanoscarab swarm over her mouth and stifling her screams. Her eyes rolled wildly as the restraints tightened and Userhet leaned down toward her. Fear not, child, he whispered. This will all be over soon. The last image she saw was that of a small child. He stared at her with a face of complete trust and adoration. Her son. Takat lost consciousness as he slowly turned to dust and disappeared before her very eyes. Present day. Userhet flexed his fingers over the board and watched his lord out of the corner of his eye. He wasn't sure why he chose to be present every time he performed this, but who was he to question his fare on? He shrugged and went back to work, evaluating each Necron before moving on. On some, he directed scarabs to change their circuitry or create new synapses or memory banks. On others, he executed more surgical commands, altering very small parts of their brains or the very code itself. When he was done, he gave a small bow to the pharaon and shuffled out of the way.
Usar had watched silently as his master strode over to the command module and stood before it. There was only one blinking light on it now, a slow orange pulse, inviting them to press it. The pharaoh raised his hand and looked up at all the Necron in the room, the hundreds all linked to this node. He shook his head and lowered his hand onto the light. A ripple passed from the node through the floor to each Necron, and when it met one, the Necron awakened, its systems booting up and a slight droning sound that accompanied all warriors began to whine through the room. Usar had stayed still as his master walked over to Kat to Kat, walked over to Takat and heard him ask, Who are you? What answered back was the automated response he would get from any in the room. I am Necron of the Nekhabet dynasty. I obey, I kill, I sleep. He nodded to himself and swept out of the room. It was his warrior. It was his army. And this was his everlasting dynasty. Oh my god, I need a drink. Okay, before we even get started, there's something super cool you did that I didn't notice last time you talked about this story. And I just wanted to know if it was intentional. Um, She actually never speaks in your in your story she only is described as responding is that intentional yes very cool part of that is because i don't feel comfortable writing dialogue okay so i but also part of it is because like well that's a less cool reason well (laughs) but like i'm not good at writing dialogue but i could struggle through it and there's like we have enough people around that like like peter i ran this by him and he was like you need more dialogue and i was like i would but like I just I can't write it as well sure. as I can descriptive and he was and then he's like yeah but like you know he could help me sure. with it but in the end also the more the less I gave her the more dehumanizing it felt which is what I liked I liked the mm-hmm. fact that this was all internal for her sure well I, the impression I got hearing it was that more it's less that she's dehumanized because I think you did a lot of things to humanize her I think it's more that it's almost like you're extracting the fact that it's almost like a foreshadowing the fact that her voice is going to be taken away throughout the whole story that you don't even give it to her in the first place. Oh, and then at the very, the last thing is the only thing she says and it's, I am. Yeah. I think that's, I think like the way that comes out is very, well, I mean, as you're going through it, I'm like, is she going to speak ever? And then ending on a speaking was a really cool way to tie it in because it is like she doesn't get a voice until, until it's, Really until his it's, voice. it's removed yeah and it's yeah. only ever his i you know I, which is really cool yeah that feeling is unintentional but i <laughs> it came across really I'm, strong I'm so you should have just told me that that was all intentional <laughs> and then nothing to do with you just not liking to write yeah. dialogue because it that's a really cool metaphor running through the whole thing hmm. i did i definitely the the one thing that i i was very intentional about was slipping in humanizing things about her so there's a lot of lines where it's like she felt yeah or she um like smell like there's a couple like dealing with senses that like Mm -hmm. robots just wouldn't have yeah and they're meant to like they're if you were to really think about it you're supposed to feel like those are really out of place sure like if you were to go back and reread the story and look for things you should be like hey wait a second why is she constantly like feeling and like touching and all these things that are like 
um, restricted to like live things. Sure. And it's supposed that was very intentional for me. And it's supposed to show that she is very different. Sure. And that there is like real changes happening to her, but it's on an instinctual level. Yeah. Because she's not remarking on the fact that she's she can feel these sure. things like in the initially she is but then all of a sudden like there's a there's a line in there where it says like it this happened for like the space of a heartbeat sure like she doesn't she doesn't have a heart yeah. and yet to her it felt like oh it was just a heartbeat it was just mm. a really quick thing sure hmm. yeah and yeah. that was something i was trying to get across sure. was the fact that like there are small changes happening to her yeah that very she cool. just accepts very cool like i said i think the coolest part is the the whole vocalization thing yeah i think that's cool the, one of the strongest yeah. little thing that ties the whole thing through <laughs> it's cool it's i honestly thought you did it on purpose so <laughs> i did it sounded really i good. did it on purpose <laughs> i liked it, it was all, it's very cool all on purpose naturally to me the the one thing in 40k if you pick out one word it's grim dark and that's Which is not a word grim darks <laughs> two words it's a made-up word well, regardless, irregardless. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you also read it so nicely with like hardly any screw ups. Brace yourself. Brace that's, yourself. That's not oh, going to happen. This again, is my but. story. There shouldn't have been any screw ups. I've read this a million times. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, like that's that's 40K in a nutshell. Yeah. And like your story, it seems all like, oh, like, wow, she's going to join the dynasty. She's going to become like a, a priestess a goddess of the court or something like that yeah no yeah this is 40k this is grimdark where i think lots of time when people um write 40k stuff they want their guys to either be a hero or they want like a good outcome but to me that's not what 40k is mm -hmm. it it shouldn't be like that sure you can still win in the end but like but it's it's, it's it, not a victory it's sure like you it's a it's a pirate victory at best yeah exactly <laughs> a viking victory Never mind. Sorry, James. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm so sorry. What did you just do to me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, so to yeah. me, that's what I really like about the story. So I do have a couple questions yes. about it. So first question would be her memories. Were those her real memories in your mind? Have you decided on that? Or was that all just like actually an error in the program? Uh I think they are hers. Okay. The error that that Userhet talks about is during the biotransference. Yeah. There was an error when they were transferring in, and it accidentally kept all their memories. Yeah. And so then uh, Userhet was responsible for blocking everything. Yeah. So all the warriors of the Nekhabet dynasty have this block put in them, yeah. which is it's faulty. Yeah. Like it's not as yeah. perfect as when they were initially created because sure. they were supposed to be wiped right completely and so they all every single necron have these their memories floating around and, yeah. and they will over the course of the years start to flare up yeah and this is just what happens to yep. you yeah so this happens over and over and over this is yeah. not the first time it's no happened. even to take hat like in yeah. my mind this is probably like the 10th time this has happened yeah. to her yeah and every time like it progresses a little further maybe and sometimes yeah. it's not as progressed but. i i do like it too that it is her actual memories because once again it just says oh fuck <laughs> that sucks for her yeah i i liked i wanted it to be hers i wanted her to have like an actual 
a real connection to them. Yeah. And I think that's why I included like the glimpse of her family yeah, and her yeah. home. And her child. Like, yeah. And like, she like a simple, that flower. Like, yeah, the flower yeah. in the table. Just yeah. uh, when I was writing it in my head, I just pictured like this like grayscale washed out room. Yeah. Like either concrete or metal and just this single simple table with one flower on it. And then if you looked outside, it's just this orange sunsetty sky just with these towers of metal or concrete in the distance so it's just supposed to be like a very washed thing with like just these bursts of color yeah through them yeah no i, I like it it's a good story um very cool it, i like it just because it gives your army character like yeah. if if on the tabletop you decide to do something as you would call it i don't play to win yeah well I don't. now you have a reason now you're playing into the lore like <laughs> like you, there's this faulty necron who by all means should have teleported into the back shot this one character and won the game but yeah. for some fucking reason no he did not do that because he's like in control of himself exactly he yeah. he doesn't he's not following orders anymore yeah exactly i, well, I kind of like they that. don't listen to me it okay. also makes it like the necron have like a little bit of like a there's a flaw to them they're not just perfect machines there's yeah. this degradation over time yeah. which is a little bit more character building for the because otherwise they're just drones and that's it's yeah. very flat and it's yeah. hard to write a story with. But you giving them like this, they're in there, but they just, every time they come out, it's just yeah. wiped yeah, and then exactly. back to nothing again. Yeah. I, I don't I think know it's better. if I'll Absolutely, ever, yeah. I don't know if I'll ever do another story with Warriors. I don't think you have to. If, I think no, that, that one kind of sums it up. If, yeah. I do, if I do, it would be Necron Tur. Oh, okay. Like yeah. when they're flesh when they're flesh Fleshy. yeah and you know that that one's a lot harder for me though because the i think it's a lot harder to get that setting right sure because there's just no details there's none like yeah yeah like very little but um, so now i've introduced two flaws with the nekabet dynasty yeah so that was going to be my next question so how does this tie into your already existing story and kind of have you thought into the future of your dynasty so yeah. why did you t- choose this particular flaw and yeah how how does it kind of all well go together so part of it is like so the overlord is super depressed the yeah. pharaoh yeah um because there are other overlords in his dynasty i i view this as being like an absolutely massively spanning dynasty okay but for some reason it's just in obscurity but that's because the over the pharaoh just doesn't care yeah he's been yeah he yeah. just he never wanted like he felt like this he didn't deserve it or he didn't want it or it was a waste of his time and sure. like what's the point of fighting this when i could, when i'm just gonna outlive everything and yeah so the one flaw that the nekabet dynasty has is that of apathy they the pharaoh the leader his court even they have adopted that idea of who cares like what does it matter which which really plays into your tabletop once again <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't so, matter you are an incredibly fluffy player <laughs> uh yeah it's the but it's the idea that like we are we exist we've assist, like we're beyond them yeah. anyone we're anyone we're fighting anyone we're killing anyone we're subjugating like yeah. our Even glory was you, in the past sure yeah. right like that was that was where we had like everything now it's it's too easy yeah even when you kill us we don't actually die yeah like, like what it's it, a hollow it's, victory for you at best because yeah. now we're gonna bring back yeah like our awesome things that you can't even begin to comprehend and will annihilate you yeah molecule and, by molecule yeah and then like even if they somehow did conquer the galaxy it's not like they can enjoy it right there's like, nothing there for them yeah right yeah, yeah yeah beyond this drive that most necron have is to sure. rule but to him it's like it's one of those things where when you grow up in something you don't appreciate it yeah so he who has been ruling his dynasty for how many years like through the wars of secession and then through the war in heaven 
right? As like he's he's already conquered the galaxy once, right? So now he just he doesn't give a shit yeah, anymore, yeah. and it, and so it's really hard to motivate himself. Yeah. But this is just one more thing where it's a flaw within his dynasty that he kind of views as like a black mark. Hmm on him he's like i have this i have this like perfect immortal army and yet i can't even control them yeah right so then maybe there's also a fear lurking in him like well if this is how can you like rule a galaxy or conquer all this when you can't even conquer your own army right when yeah so i don't know i don't know if i really think that they tie together very much but it's because okay he could let all the necron keep their identity okay there's like uh, they're all made of necrodermis which is living metal yeah right and the way that they're written would deter like the code determines what bodies they have yeah that that's kind of how i see it yeah um so they're like there's nothing to me to say that if for some reason they were allowed to keep their memories they couldn't all become immortals sure or lich guard or other members like you could have like a real society at that point Hmm. um but he doesn't want that like he is like um he's very happy with the status quo sure right he doesn't he doesn't want to conquer but he does he also feels terrible when he loses right because the story uh before someone tore down his memorial and he went ape shit on them and killed them all all himself yeah like he wanted to personally be responsible for that yeah and that's kind of what i see here is he doesn't want all his warriors changing into these like amazing things even if it would be good for him yeah but he also doesn't want to lose them he just wants to keep it as is because he's i don't know maybe there's a fear sure that he has i don't know i don't know if i've super worked it out Hmm. it's cool no i I like like it 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 builds your we builds your world we gotta fucking do a narrative and like we gotta do like an actual narrative that focuses on one player so like we do a narrative that's specifically made for you eric and then like me and James would play as like the NPC. Sure. Cause like it always sucks when you have like James, you want to win with your army. Eric, you want to win with your army. And like you're what, playing a narrative then. Yeah. And like yeah. You, you, there is almost that feel bad. Like, Oh shit. Now this happened in my story. And like, why Crap. was I even here in the first place? You know, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Cause it's a tomb world. Oh, every, everything every, is a tomb world. It's, if it's not a forge world, it's a tomb world, and sometimes it's both. <laughs> Let's be honest. Every forge world is a tomb world. That's right. <laughs> we know the truth. <laughs> but Yeah, we, we should do some more narratives where yeah. like, you can actually then write the story how you kind of see it going a little more. Yeah. You, know? you still have to win your victories or whatever, but one side's not walking away with a bitter taste in their mouth. Yeah. I, uh, I do have an idea for another story, sure. which I'll share. Sure. Um, I'm thinking of writing the story of an overlord in the court who is attempting to uh, commit a coup. Perfect. Against the Pharaon. Yeah. But that he's been planning for over 60 million years. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking. That's a lot of planning. Well, because they fell asleep for 60 million years. So yeah. I'm thinking. Uh, so after the war in heaven, Cesaric get, um you know, gave back the control to everyone. Yeah. And there was a little time like left after that. So I think that, um, there's going to be someone in his court who's been planning this coup for years during the war of secession, during the war in heaven, you know, even back when they were still Necron Sure. He's been planning this coup, planning it and planning it. And then you fall asleep, you wake up and sure the world has passed you by, but you haven't changed, right? You're the exact same person. So I kind of want to see like, well, does does time mean anything to a Necron? No. So like, yeah. 
You be, maybe he's just like stuck, stuck in a feed like a, a loop, an infinite Could be. loop. It's Groundhog like, Day. He just no. for, for him, he's just going to be constantly planning, but he never actually gets to the part where he executes. <laughs> the, so he does a little madness in his yeah, programming. Yeah, his, yeah, he gets to the part like tomorrow we execute, but tonight I'm going to go to bed, and then he wakes up tomorrow, tomorrow we execute, <laughs> but tonight I'm going to bed. Yeah, there's there's a lot of cool things you can play with because like you can just put flaws in who they yeah. are as people so yeah uh, but i think that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna that's cool do a little bit more with the court and i think yeah. i'm gonna introduce um another cryptic two more overlords hmm. the one the guy and then one a female overlord <gasps> um yeah i'm actually really excited about her she's because she's also going to have the female lich guard Okay. Uh, do you remember it's like from oh, war I games know, oh, exclusive i, I think yeah. that's yeah. yeah so they have like a female necron body so titties yeah, yeah but tits. Like a lot robot of robot tits. Like when I like should should, should what no. Um, uh, a lot of people seem to actually hate those. I hate them personally. Yeah. Why would why would they have any different body? They're just they're just machine killing yes. killing and machines. Hundred percent. There's no reason to do that other than vanity. Yeah, because she is a vain overlord all right. who wants to keep that separate because she wants to be different. Yeah, because sure. all like there's no sex or gender with Necron. You have no idea what they were before, yeah. and it doesn't right? matter. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. But out due to vanity, like sure. and pride in who she was, like yeah, she might have been term. very good looking. Like, exactly. Seduced, yeah. How she got into power? She just seduced a man or whatever. Like I mean, sure, I haven't fleshed that part sure. out, but you know, I'm the, more thinking like, ditties, you know, they're like the reason that she's different because every yeah. other Necron looks the exact same. Yeah, yeah. But oh, that's and cool. the only reason she does is because to her, she needs like some way to distinguish. And yeah. so I, I want to introduce that character yeah. then, and then I also want to write a story about her because I like the idea of these like vain peacock like people who feel like the world is theirs but yeah. they don't have it for some reason so hmm. that's cool yeah very cool all right i'm yeah, done i like that yeah, yeah i like that I like that quote sexy thing. that's cool. cool okay so we're about to descend now into my reading which i'm excited if i ever heard you read before oh. <laughs> you may never hear me read again after <laughs> i'm gonna do my best again I apologize. You've to, never read this before either. I've never I read it before. I literally gave it to you two minutes ago. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. struggle through. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> it's not an insult to your writing. If I don't get it, it's just that I have a grade five level reading comprehension. So. <laughs> Weren't you in university for like seven years? <laughs> they don't. They don't check. They, they don't check. check. <laughs> Nobody asked if Can I can you read. read? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I just type and that's how it works. I was trying to get a picture of everyone, but it's not going to work. You know, I was thinking we should go on Instagram Live for a minute while we're doing this, see if we get some questions, but... No way. Got a plan for Lean that. in. Yeah. Lean, no, in. lean in this way, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> lean in this way. We're doing this live. Okay. There we go. Where look. do I look? Where do my hands go? Right here. Got Perfect. Him. All right. Got him. Got him. Okay. That's going to right begin. to my mom. Ew. Going All right. Begin. Go ahead. Here we go. Processing synaptic congruent <laughs> it's a pigeon <laughs> i like it already engaged Sorry. establishing audio reconstruction engaged visual restoration operation efficiency working 
engaged. The Silver Skull's battle brother, Enricas, salutes Sergeant Christian. As he passes by, a silver-blue gauntlet pulling his bolter sharply against his chest with a deep clang. Christian returns the jester with his bolt pistol and gestures to follow him. Enricas falls in behind him as the sergeant makes for the rooftop barricades of Outpost Sigma Gamma 3987. As they tramp through the cathedral-like rockcrete halls, Christian draws more battle brothers into his retinue. Enricas considers the sudden change of protocol as he is normal for the post. Sergeant, I ask permittance to lay forth my curiosity. Speak on, brother. The sergeant permits. Is there peril that we attend? Enricas questions. It is unknown, brother. Orbital scans located a signal approaching our location from beyond our sensor array. The scanner was disabled as the intruding object passed it. Do we know the origin, sir? Enricus's blood begins to flow quicker in anticipation of an attack. Our chapter, brother. Or so it would seem. Enricus relaxes. Are we expecting reinforcements, sir? No, brother. That is why we assemble. Enriquez's eyes narrow, and he stands at attention once more as he is, uh, sorry, as he and his battle brothers reach the top of the outpost. Enriquez looks into the sky above Sigma Gamma 3987, spotting a bright light streaking downward. Positions, brothers. We're not expecting visitors. Be ready. Christian notifies his brothers and takes a place nearest to the calculated landing site. Enriquez and his battle brothers take up their designated war stations with one of his brothers tracking the unknown object's descent with a missile launcher. An autocannon emplacement to his left whirs to life as, it, as its servitor operator is engaged. The multi-barreled cylinders of the Emperor's Wrath take aim at the landing site, ready to explode into life at a moment's notice. Enricus's optical display shows him precisely where they are looking at. An Adeptus Astartes drop pod. A moment hesitation draws, a reminder of the situation from his launcher-wielding brother. It is not ours, brother. Enricus questions to him, or begins to question him, but realizes the mistake of his momentary diversion as the pod strikes the ground. Tarnished yellow hazard stripes mark the edges of the dark steel structure, topped with an unknown, perhaps heretical, dimly pulsing blue amalgamation of iron. The branding that denotes the those who send such advice confuses Enricas and is shared by his brother beside him. Brother Sergeant, Enricas opens communication with Christian who promptly responds, At the ready, brother. They are not what they seem. Sergeant, but who would have done such a thing to our mark? It looks like ours, but it's not. You know of the iron warriors, brother? Christian's voice is marked with a tone of shame. We all do, Brother Sergeant. They pervert the Emperor's holy creations with infections of heretical iron. They do, Brother. Pray that the Emperor is with us this day. The Silver Skull's Sergeant tone pangs with remorse at the evident concern in his voice, but he does not continue. With a deep, droning hum, the fixture of machinery atop the drop pod pulses with a bright blue light bringing to life a shimmering dome of force that surrounds the intruding craft, along with a repetitive, piercing shriek of alarm. 
Permission to fire, sir? The voice of a battle brother echoes through the communication of Enriquez's audio feed. Hold, brothers. We know not what they bring. Enriquez's tenses both his hands around his bolt rifle, aiming down the sight at the draw pod, not a hundred meters from outpost Sigma Gamma 3987. An arid breeze carries across the Silver Skrulls as they await command. The silence is broken only by the continuous hum of the pulsing blue device atop the pod. Enricus hears Christian's calls, a warning over the Vox channel. Teleporter signals! In a blaze of red, dozens of decrepit humanoids of various origin appear in flashes of blood and fire. The unstable technology coupled with a weak flesh fusing into a display of gore that putrefies the air with a stench of rotting bodies. Those who survive their heretical incursion cry out with a clacking of teeth and screeching voices as Sergeant Christion gives the order to open fire. The air of the outpost Sigma Gamma 3987 explodes into a hail of bolter fire and lasgun blasts. The zeal of both Silver Skulls, Astartes, and cultists of some unknown invading clashing in battle. The server-operated autocannon roars to life, spewing a blizzard of slugs into the soft flesh of the invaders. Screams of pain and ecstatic battle vomit from the horde of fanatical humanoids as they leap, crawl, run, and die in great splatters of thick red blood. Enricus's brother beside him lets loose missile after missile into the gang of laughing, jeering, screeching creatures, blasting chunks of flesh into the air, only to crash back down into the ground with a resounding schlump. <laughs> that was bolded. I don't know why. Schlump. <laughs> Enricus feels the devotion to his chapter and his emperor fulfilled as the cultists, each branded with the heretical mutation of the Silver Skull's mark, falls. His battle revelry is cut short as a shadow falls over him, one of his brothers denoting into a shrapnel blast of Kremet and Astarda's body. Enricus is thrown by the impact and barely lands upon his feet. He instinctively brings his bolter to bear upon the new threat, and his pulse thuds heavily with her, deeply, sorry thuds deeply within his ears as he looks upon it. His mind reels as he spends precious seconds of the assault taking in what is, what it is that has just appeared from the warp, a hulking monstrosity of what used to be a dreadnought. One of the Emperor's oldest and most honored warriors stands and extends its four limbs, at least three times the size of a normal Astartes. The flesh about it forms twists and writhes, undulating with unnatural life and heretical design. Its head turns towards the autocannon emplacement as the servitor spins its weapon prison to face the dreadnought that ju just killed the Sir Silver Skull's battle brother and opens fire. As the autocannon tears into the dreadnought's mutated flesh and sparking iron, it lets out a droning buzz that scours Enricus's ears. I have come for you to purify your disease of worship. A horrid slicing laugh cuts through the air, originating from the drop pod, drawing the attention of more battle brothers, adding to the dreadnought's unholy proclamation. Brothers, the second voice calls, a horrific amalgamation of screeching steel and atonal speech. You have been blessed today to be chosen by the Iron Skulls for their purification you so love. Enricus looks towards the source of the sound, spotting several bloated obliterators bulging with latices of old and new flesh emerging from the warp near the relic of shielding force. The voice calls again, and this time Enricus sees its originators from the lead obliterator. 
As we were, so shall you, left to die. The hail of gunfire originating from their emplacements in Battle Brothers upon the outpost do little to breach the dome of shimmering blue energy, and the obliterators join the fray, slowly, oh my gosh, slowly lumbering towards the outer edge of the dome. From this vantage point, seemingly unnoticed by the dreadnought tearing through the ranks of his brothers upon the outpost, Enriquez lifts the missile launcher from his fallen brother and takes aim at the largest of the invading heretics. Larger even than its comrades, the obliterator leading the way from the machine laughs maniacally as the missile detonates harmlessly of the one dome force. Undeterred, the obliterators march onward, crunching down through their broken corpses of cultists. Enriquez ducks behind a barricade and sets about loading a new missile into the launcher, hearing a whir of grinding metal and watching as the dreadnought sprouts a gargantuan chainsword and splitting one of his battle brothers apart. With renewed vigor, he takes careful aim at the leg joints of the dreadnought and fires, immediately dropping the launcher and vaulting over the barricade. The explosion reaches him less than a second later, sending a shockwave through him, but doing nothing to break the, his warrior's concentration. Bringing his bolter to bear over the barricade, he is too late to drive away from the charging dreadnought. It barrels into him with a resounding crunch, his power armor barely absorbing the shock of the sudden impact. He is thrown once more, this time off the high platform of the outpost. He can only watch as the dreadnought spares him, barely a moment's notice before spewing forth a gout of flame from his freshly spawned heavy flamer that extends from one of its infected arms. He turns his head and stares into the approaching obliterators as they too sprout horrific perversions of the Emperor's sacred weapons. Five of his battle brothers too close to the new assailants charge forward with combat knives, forging the, reloading, uh, forging the reload of their weapons to bring the Emperor's wrath straight to the leaders of this band of intruding heretics. One of the obliterators' faces twists into a grin as it is as it and its comrades part, allowing Enriquez a view of two frag launchers attached to pylons of the machine. The attachments swivel and take aim, then blasting the battle brothers with shards of jagged metal. Those who do not fall from the shots are eviscerated by chainswords sprouted from the obliterators, gouts of black smoke emanating from the horrid motorized weapons of death as they carve through Enriquez's now fallen brothers. He tries to stand but the impact of the dreadnought had been too much for Enriquez. So unprepared was he, his legs would not obey him, and he could only watch as his battle brothers were slaughtered, listening to the laughter and invocations of chaotic deities from the swarming cultists. Hours pass before Enriquez hears the din of gunfire, and dying warriors fade into the gentle breeze of the arid wind. Again, he tries to stand with his torso, and beyond would not do as he commanded. He mutters a prayer to the emperor, and to Lord Commander Argentius. Then he would be looked upon favorably if he were ever recovered. Argentius! That voice again. It cuts through Enriquez's ears to the point of pain, and he resists the urge to look. Lord Commander of the Silver Skulls! It speaks the last words with a sneer, as though speaking the words at all were an affront to the speaker himself. Look at me, brother! Enriquez feels his body convulse and tense, and his head turns. Ah, I see! You have been robbed of your body. No matter, you can still speak. Above him, the leader of the obliterators, he had last seen blasting a withering barrage of slugs into the, his battle brothers, looks down at him. 
Its eyes gleam with black hatred and squirming flesh wriggles about the armor's head cavity. Where is he? It is not a question, it is a command, an imperative. The hulking creature above him pulls the helmet from Enriquez's head and drops it aside. Enriquez begins to growl. A response with another of the obliterators comes into view. My lord, what will we do with this one? Is he worth worth of ascension? The second obliterator speaks with reverence towards the former, bowing its head briefly as it speaks. No, no other is worthy of ascension as we are. We will carry our ascension with us into the heart of the Argent Hammer, the Silver Arrow, and beyond. Only we, the strength and will to do so. You will remember this. Yes, my lord. Forgive my impertinence. What is this one's fate, then, if not ascension? The second obliterator asks with a strange curiosity, eyeing Ericus carefully. The silver skull spits forcefully a glob of acidic saliva, landing upon the face of the Lord Obliterator, who only chuckles at the smoke from the acid carving its way into his face. The Emperor protects, Enriquez proclaims earnestly, defiant in his fate. No, he does not. Disengage, synaptic congruent. Inquisitor Galloween, Turka, Pulls the cables protruding from his servo skull, connected to the recovered helmet of battle brother Enricus. The silver skull's corpse had been brutally crushed by traumatic force through the chest, displacing and destroying both of the Astartes' hearts. The same had been done to every silver skull at outpost Sigma Gamma 3987. The holographic displays of Enricus's last moments fade to nothing, and Galloway stands from the blasted ground near the corpse. A deep thud pulls his attention to the outpost proper, as three silver skulls of Stardes approach him, pulling one fist to his chest in a salute, Galloway speaks. I am pleased the distress beacon was investigated by more than just myself, and it's fortunate we both were within distance. Galloway's countenance darkens. I do regret. I do regret. What? I don't know. I lost myself. Hold on. I do regret to inform you that by my authority in the Ordo Hereticus, I will have access to the records pertaining to your history and encounters with potential mutation of your chapter. I will board my ship and you will escort me to your fortress monastery where I will investigate and have audience with the Lord Commander Argentius. The Inquisitor places both his hands, uh, both hands behind his back and makes for the, his nearby craft. We cannot allow that, Inquisitor, one of the Silver Skulls responds. The Inquisitor stops instantly. Say that again, Astartes. He does not turn. We can't allow you to bring this information to light. Why is that? Galloway slowly unclaps his hands and reaches for the bolt pistol strapped to his side, beginning to generate a psychic field as he does so. We will not sacrifice our purity. The click of a bolt gun causes Galloway to spin in place, driving to the side and unleashing a psychic blast of energy and letting loose a volley of shots from his bolt pistol. One of the silver skulls is hammered in the chest with the pistol, his flesh seared within his power armor, but his brothers respond by killing the Inquisitor in seconds. One of the two remaining brothers looks back towards the landing craft as the apothecary examines the deceased brothers, determining the purity of their gene seed. We were lucky the Inquisitor came alone. 
The emperor saw fit to protect our purity this day. What happens when he does not? We will cross that bridge when we come to it. For now, we march onward. Oh, oh you did it. Good job. It's a long one. That is a long one. I got through it. Got through it. We made it through. <laughs> we made uh, did not we made it too badly. <laughs> well done on the writing. Yeah, so Luke wrote that. Good and, job, Luke. Uh, he, we did we're, we weren't really in contact like he wrote that pretty much all just off the one episode we did uh, where you talked about yeah just idea. like kind of my idea of what i wanted and like literally the only tweak was uh he thought the drop pod had guys inside of it but mm. the drop pod's just a shield generator it and just like, looks like a drop pod it is a drop pod sure but all its space is taken up for the shield generator so everyone teleports around that's the only thing i tweaked on it where he had him inside the drop pod. I'm like, well, they teleport around the drop pod. Yeah, that's a pretty minor. That's all. And other than that, like, I love it. Like, uh, he hit a bunch of key points that I really liked. Um, he really hit on, like, the whole purity of the Silver Skulls and why they would abandon their brothers to the Obliterator virus. And, uh, yeah, I, I like that. He and also- the fact they're willing to kill, like, Inquisitors <laughs> to protect their yeah, secret. Because, like, they're Iron Warriors. The Silver yeah. Skulls have Iron Warriors gene seed. Even though they that, say they're from Ultramarines? Yeah. Yeah. So that's like the whole That's reason. the secret that they couldn't let the Inquisitor find out. Exactly. And, and if he were to delve into it, he would. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's just, I liked it. It fit good. Kind Very of. Cool. Yeah. Um, My, when I was reading it, like, I, I was reading it and, like, there's the one line where it's uh, Enricus, he's on the ground, the Lord Obliterator is standing over top of him. They've ripped his helmet off or whatever. And he goes like, he spits in his face and then he says, the emperor protects. And then just this inquisitor or this obliterator just being like, no, he doesn't. (laughs) I just, that's actually (laughs) like, that's such a badass moment. Yeah. 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 Oh, I loved that so much. (laughs) That you and uh, Christian are in the story too. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, and I got no problem. That <laughs> like was that. fine. Did you yeah. die? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I like it. Um, he he kind of kept the motivation of what I want my whole war band to be, which is their ultimate goal is to kill the commander that abandoned them. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're going from outpost to outpost, hunting down silver skulls, trying to find the location or resources and that's just why they run into everyone right because they're just constantly trying to hop from galaxy from planet to planet trying to find where it yeah it's like find one guy in a galaxy uh, that's fucking tough yeah so yeah i liked it i'm i'm quite happy with it um i i personally won't be writing any more stories in it that's uh, (laughs) i won't be writing any but uh yeah i played my first game with them last night they were delightful wow <laughs> i won wow <laughs> they were okay i gave them i thought they only had three wounds they have four yeah i the guy brought i lost a, a guy the guy brought a lance feeder that lance, did the most damage oh my did a lance feeder and a raptor <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's not a lot of oh, damage being done with those yeah, things yes no it was pretty one-sided yeah but it's cool at least that you're you feel like you're at the place where you can play them on tabletop i'm just fucking sick of playing tau like I'm gonna do it for the tournament and it's gonna be fun that we're playing in, but uh, yeah. Unless somebody else wants to play it, I'm they're sh- they're being shelved for a while. Yeah, like I mean, you've played them nonstop for all of Eighth Edition. That's all I've year. played. I've played yeah. twenty games with them, so it's, it's, I'm done with them. Maybe if and you 20, played two thousand point games, you'd have more fun. 
No, it literally would be the, it would be less fun. Less fun for me. <laughs> yeah, less fun. Yeah, I really like that story. Yeah. Um. I, yeah, I got nothing else really to say about it. Really, it's fun. Yeah. Do you got anything? Do you yeah. got anything? No, it was cool. Coke can. What do you think? Coke can says no calories. Go in my mouth. <laughs> Ooh. No yeah. calories. What are we at for timestamp here? An hour. Perfect. That's yeah. all we needed. It's a great time to shut her down and cool well uh thank you for listening guys yeah, obviously yeah if you have your own stories that uh you've written or you have a lore behind the army that you play uh share it with us because we do if you would like us to you know talk about it and give you some feedback about it because we will probably share it on our podcast and then we'll just kind of rip it to shreds yeah verbally verbally yeah. yeah uh share it definitely to the lorehammer podcast at gmail.com yeah the if, email if you put it to our facebook like we're gonna see it but it's gonna get lost in all the messages we get so just yeah. email it to us we can keep track of it that way if you're really motivated type in like listener lore in the subject so we don't lose it yeah cool um yeah awesome cool thanks for being here james it was fun did it bye bye <laughs> Just like that. Bye. Bye. <laughs>